This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. As I kneel in the darkness in the middle of the night, I'm praying for assurance everything's gonna be alright. And Lord, I see another battle, and it's out in front of me. I'm afraid I won't be able, and I'll go down in defeat. And he said, do you remember where I brought you from? Just take a look behind you. How far you've come Oh, and every time you asked me Didn't I deliver you? So why would you be thinking That I wouldn't see you through? And didn't I walk on the water And I calmed the rage you see I spoke to are coming due, Lord, and six days is not that long, and she hears a voice so soft and low, says, child, I've moved like this before, and I'll do this little thing for you, and I'll give you so much more, didn't I walk on the water, and I call Glad that you're, uh, you were able to join us today, and uh, as always, I would 
ask you to follow along as we uh, look into God's Word and uh, open your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 8. We're nearing the, uh, for those of you that are part of this church, we're nearing the tail end of a series called The Deadly Seven, where we're studying seven root sins from which many other sins grow. And uh, we, we've talked about a lot of fun stuff like gluttony, and, uh, and then we've got two left. We're going to be talking about sloth and then lust. Uh, but today, in order to better prepare our hearts for the baptisms of uh, six people in this service, we're going to ditch our series temporarily and talk about a couple of basics of the Christian faith. Now, to get us headed in the right direction, the, the governor of Missouri, Governor Mike Parson, who is a friend to many of us here, he's visited our church campus and spoken to us several different times, he's declared parts of Missouri a drought area. I realize we've had a couple of rains in the last eight to nine days, and um, they've been wonderful rains, but we're still experiencing drought conditions. And, and, and so from what I understand, the, the lack of rainfall is affecting the way that some churches are conducting their baptisms. For example, I've heard that, the, um, that, that due to the severe drought, the Baptists, who normally are very strong on baptizing by immersion, or in other words, they dunk people completely under the water, from what I understand, the Baptists are now starting to baptize by sprinkling. And then I've heard that the Presbyterians, who typically baptize by sprinkling, they're just using wet wipes. And, and then the Methodists, who typically baptize by pouring, they're issuing rain checks. And finally, our Catholic friends, well, they're now resorting to praying for their wine to turn back into water. I'm just joking, by the way, if you didn't know that on a more serious note, to lead us into our lesson in a statement that has become one of the most iconic quotes in sports history, one that you've heard many times, Vince Lombardi, five-time NFL champion from the Green Bay Packers at the start of training camp in 1961, he went back to the most basic of football basics and brought out a football and said, gentlemen, this is a football. And on occasion, every ball team, every organization, and I believe even every church needs to go back to the basics. And today we're going to do that. So I begin by reminding you, this is a Bible. This is a Bible. Now, I realize that Bibles come in all shapes and sizes and translations and parts of the Bible, or even in over 1,500 different languages of the world, but whether you access your Bible electronically or you choose to access your Bible in book form, this is a Bible. This is God's Word. This is God's inspired Word. This is God's inerrant Word. This is God's life-giving Word. This is a Bible. Now, in this Bible, God has given us truth. Some of the truth is deep truth. And we might comment on occasion, this is over my head. I've felt that way many times. But then also, in this Bible, there is truth that is basic truth. 
It's truth that most of us could understand. But sometimes, because it's so easy to understand, we overlook it. Or we ignore it. So today, I want to go to the Bible. And I want to look at two basic truths. For a few moments, with God's help, I want to look at the truths of salvation and baptism. And the reason I feel I should go back to the basics this morning is is because I found that even in our very religious part of the country, an area that's considered to be the very heart of the Bible Belt, I found that a high percentage of people do not understand salvation. They have warped views and believe that salvation comes from just doing better or or salvation comes from just going to church, or, or, or salvation comes from just kind of cleaning up your mouth, or, or cleaning up your life. But then not only do people fail to properly understand salvation, perhaps I found that an even higher percentage of people in this area, in the very religious part of our country, they have a skewed and unbiblical view of baptism. They've either downgraded baptism as not being important, or they've elevated baptism above what we would find to be biblical. So today, with God's help, for a few moments, I want to give a very basic lesson. No bells, no whistles, no extras. Just a simple lesson that will hopefully give us a scriptural view of both salvation and baptism. Now, there are many different passages in the Bible that we could look to for our study, but I don't know of a scripture that that deals with salvation and baptism that any more clearly depicts this than Acts chapter 8, verse 26. And if you were raised in church, as many of you were, you've heard this account many, many times. But follow along in your Bibles as I refresh, refresh your memory. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, to, to, to give you a better perspective of the geography of this area, let me show you a map. And, and um, let's go ahead to this map, and let me just kind of show you where we are. I'll look at this side here on the left. We're, uh, we're in Jerusalem, and here's Gaza. You've heard of the Gaza Strip. There it is. But this right here, look how remote it is. In, in fact, it would, um, it, it would be pretty much considered to be desert. There, there are a few Bedouins in the area, just a few nomadic, semi-nomadic shepherds. Uh, but besides that, you don't have much else. Verse 27, so he arose and went, and behold, a, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning And sitting in his chariot, he was reading, listen to what he was reading, Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go near, overtake the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, 
And who will declare his generation for his life was taken from the earth? So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I I ask you, of, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scripture, preached, listen, he preached politics to him. No, he preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here's some water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, well, if you believe in your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now, this account took place in history when the Romans were intensifying their efforts, especially in Jerusalem, to make life miserable for followers of Jesus Christ in in hopes that they could snuff out this new religion. And the result of this persecution was that Christians began to scatter to other places. And in the first part of Acts chapter 8, we didn't read that, but it tells us that one of the men that left Jerusalem due to the persecution was a man by the name of Philip man by the name of Philip. Philip had been one of the original seven deacons appointed in Jerusalem. Now, whenever we talk about church structure, it seems like a lot of churches today, their structure is committee after committee after committee after committee. But if you get back to the New Testament, it appears that the early church structure consisted of deacons and elders. Deacons and elders. Elders seem to be involved in in helping with the spiritual oversight of the ministry, whereas deacons were involved more in the practical applications of ministry. And here the practical application of ministry was helping coordinate the food program for the widows who at this time had no social security. They had no means to take care of themselves. And, And so the church, listen, the church took on the task of helping provide for widows and the deacons were the ones involved in distributing the food. And, and, and you know, I, I was just thinking about this. wonder what would happen if the church would go back to taking care of this. You know, I, I don't want to get into heavy-duty uh, political stuff here, but it seems like sometimes whenever we rely on the government, they send checks. There's, no, there's not a lot of love that goes with the check. There's not a lot of uh, spiritual instruction. And so I've always just wondered out of curiosity, what would happen if we would go back to the Word to where the church would take care of needy people? Well, when the Romans stepped up their persecution, uh, Philip relocated, remember Philip the deacon, relocated to the city of Samaria. And let me show you again uh, the, the map here. Uh, there, there's Samaria, there's, uh, there's Jerusalem. So persecution came to Jerusalem. He went up here to Samaria. Well, when Philip got to Samaria, look what happened. In, in Acts chapter 8, uh, verse 5, Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria, told the people there about the Messiah. So do you remember why Philip got in trouble in, in Jerusalem? For telling people about Jesus. He gets to Samaria. He tells people about Jesus. He shares his faith. Verse 6, crowds listened intently to what he had to say because of the miracles he did. And 
And then pay attention to what happened as he taught about Jesus the Messiah. Try to get a visual picture in your mind of what I'm going to read, verse 7. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So as you can imagine, there was great joy in that city. Now, most of us have never seen what was described in verse 7. In fact, if what happened in verse 7 would happen here today, what would be your reaction? Yeah, whoa. That would be more than whoa. I, I think there would be people that would say, I'm out of here. You know, I don't believe in that nonsense. That, that's for those crazy emotional people that have a vivid imagination. And, and some of you would say, I can't believe Pastor Joe is one of those, and he's actually letting that happen in our church. We would be totally weirded out. But, but understand that if we would get out of our, our little circle of church friends here in conservative Cedar County and venture farther away than just Branson and go to other countries, we would find these kinds of situations fairly commonplace. You know, at the risk of being labeled one of those, I'll admit that I've been involved in situations in other countries, not, uh, and, and I'm not here to, to bring attention to Satan, but I, I just want you to know that in, in situations that were not of my choosing, where we entered a place where Satan had a beachhead, and what took place, if some of you would see it, your hair would stand straight up on the back of your neck. And so again, I'm not here to glorify Satan, but I just want you to understand that, that, that Satan is real, Satan is powerful, Satan is not like Casper the friendly ghost, but he is the enemy of our souls, he desires to take over our lives and inhabit us, he wants to live within us. Do you know that? Just as Jesus wants to live within us, Satan's goal is to also live within us. So as Philip began to share Jesus, the evil spirits began protesting and screaming, screaming as they were cast out. Well, verse 12 then gives us the bottom line, and notice two things. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. So the first thing was that the people came to a place where they believed and said, yes, I choose to follow this, Jesus that Philip is talking about. But here's the second thing that took place. As a result, they believed many men and women were, what? Baptized. Now, the Bible doesn't give exact numbers here, but Philip, as I studied, he was probably, I learned that he was sharing with at least hundreds of people and, and maybe even more than that. This was not a little tiny country church where he was dealing with a handful of people, you know, us four and no more. Uh, in fact, Acts chapter 8, verse 8 says, great joy came to all of Samaria because of Philip's ministry. So, so what was taking place here in Samaria was a great move of God's Holy Spirit with very significant numbers of people coming to know Christ. But something really baffling takes place. And the angel of the Lord tells Philip to leave this place where God is using him and tells him to go out to the desert. 
Now, now frankly, from my perspective, this is a perplexing ministry move. Uh, For Philip to leave a successful ministry where many are coming to know Jesus and go where? To a desert area where you'll be lucky to see anything but scorpions and lizards and snakes and you might come across a few Bedouin nomadic shepherds. But from my perspective, God, you, you messed up on this one. This is not a good ministry move. You know, it, it would be on the order of, of a pastor that maybe ministered to several thousand people every weekend and, and then going to preach in the desert to, uh, we'll just say, go to Death Valley in California. Anybody ever been to Death Valley in California? You know what? Death Valley encompasses three and a half million acres. But do you know how many people live in that three and a half million acre place? 328 people. I mean, it's so sparsely populated. If you've ever been there, driven through Death Valley, uh, about the only highway in Death Valley is, is Highway 190. And you can travel that highway and meet few, if any, cars. If you run out of gas, good luck, buddy. Um, but that's basically what the angel told Philip to do. Leave this thriving church in Samaria where there is revival and many people are getting saved. In fact, the whole region, uh, we would say the whole county there of, of Samaria is being impacted. And go to the desert where there's nothing. But out in the desert, and this is, this is so cool the way God works, but... Philip comes across a man in a chariot. The Bible identifies him as an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, both of those are descriptive words of significance. Ethiopian eunuch. You know, first of all, he's Ethiopian, which means he's African and of a different race, different color. The Jewish people, if you've been to Israel, sometimes they were a little bit darker skinned than, uh, you know, most of us in this area. But, but the Ethiopian would have probably been way darker than Jewish people. The, the, significant, the, the second significant fact was that this African man was a eunuch. And if you don't know what a eunuch is, just ask Pastor Jim, and uh, he would be glad to discuss this with you. And uh, actually, why don't you just uh, Google it and save us all a little bit of embarrassment. But let me just say, he couldn't have kids, all right? There, there you kind of know, but... But anyway, because of the fact that this man was an African or Ethiopian eunuch, back then this would have meant that he had a couple of strikes against him. Strike one, his race was against him. You think we are prejudiced today. There was a higher level of prejudice back then. And strike two was his condition of being a eunuch, which at that time that would, they would have considered that a, a physical flaw and he would have been imperfect. And so these two factors, his race and physical condition, more than likely would have prohibited him from being able to go inside the temple proper to worship God. They were very selective who could go into the temple proper. Now, you could be on the, on the grounds there, but you couldn't go into the temple. But what I want to point out is it appears that neither of those strikes against this man from Africa stopped him from going, and I looked this up, about 2,300 miles in a chariot, not a Cadillac Escalade, but in a buggy, all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. In fact, let's just look at this on a map so you know how far it is. Uh, 
there's Ethiopia right down here. Here is Jerusalem right up there. Can you imagine going across Ethiopia, what is today Sudan, Egypt? These are not little tiny countries, but they say probably about 2,300 miles. But what I want to get across is that that Ethiopian had such a hunger for God. He was willing to travel the long distance, even though more than likely he wouldn't be allowed inside the temple. And, and I just have to say this week, as I was studying that, and it, it hit me so hard that uh, he had such a hunger to know God. And, and I just had to pray. I was typing away, and I took, basically pushed my keyboard in. And I just began praying, God, would you give me that type of hunger for, for Jesus. And tears came to my eyes this week. As, and I said, God, give me a hunger for you and give me a passion for you and give me, give me such a desire to know you that I would be willing to travel 2,300 miles in a buggy, a bumpy buggy pulled by horses. And I began to pray that I would know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. And I began to pray for you that there would be that hunger within you. Back to the Ethiopian. He traveled 2,300 miles to Jerusalem. He's on his way back down to Ethiopia. Well, all of a sudden, Philip, just a regular man without formal religious training, was walking in the desert, probably just shaking his head saying, God... Why? Why did you take me away from my church where God had been blessing and you sent me to this desolate, forsaken place? And, and all of a sudden, he sees a chariot. I'm sure his eyes got big. And the Holy Spirit says, Philip, go over to that chariot, walk beside it. Let's just read it in verse 29. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. But look at Philip's response. Philip ran over. He didn't walk. He ran. And I think by now, I wonder if Philip is having that sense that for God to call him away from a successful ministry in Samaria, God had to be orchestrating some type of big ministry moment. Well, as Philip runs up to the chariot, he hears this Ethiopian reading out loud. And he's reading from the book of Isaiah. And, and, and Philip says, hey, do, do you understand what you're reading? And, and the Ethiopian looks up, and the Bible doesn't say this, but I wonder at first, he said, what are you doing out here? But, but he said, you know what, now that you ask, I, I don't have a clue what I'm reading. You ever been there? <laughs> you're reading the Word, and you're trying so hard. It's like, man, I'm so dull today. What's wrong with it? God, I can't understand this. The Ethiopian um, says, you know what? I don't have a clue what I'm reading. Um, why don't you climb up here, sit in my chariot, talk to me. And the next part is so awesome. The Ethiopian man is reading from the book of Isaiah. Do you, re do you realize this was written about 700 years prior? 
And he was reading the scripture of Christ being led like a sheep to the slaughter. And, but the words were empty. It was like a riddle that didn't make sense. He just couldn't put the pieces of the puzzle together. And, and so Philip began to explain to him that, that Jesus was the sheep that was being led to, to, to the slaughter. Jesus uh, would be slaughtered and, and take on the, the, the sin of the world. And, and all of a sudden, during that bumpy, buggy ride, that Ethiopian began to understand. It was like, bang! This was Jesus. Jesus had died, had taken on the sin of the world so that this African man could have the peace that he had been searching for. And listen to this. Even though he had been excluded from the temple because Jews felt he was of the wrong race, yet God still loved him. And he was not excluded from the plan of salvation because salvation is for all who believe. God so loved the world. It's for the red, yellow, black, and white. They're all precious in his sight. And as Philip was explaining the gospel to him, the Ethiopian's spiritual hunger reached a point to where he said, this is what I need. This is what I want. What happened? Verse 36. As they went down the road, they came to some water, and, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? But, but notice this, and this is a really bad pun. You can go boo if you want, but the Ethiopian was trying to get the cart before the horse. You know, he, he was thinking about baptism. Philip was thinking about what needed to precede baptism, and that was salvation, and that he needed, it needed to take place in his heart first. So he said, w- w- wait a minute, verse 37, if you believe with all your heart, you may, you, you may be baptized. So there, there is the work, uh, the, the, the fact that salvation had to begin in the heart. There had to first be a work of God's grace and forgiveness. And then he answered and said, I believe. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Please don't ever overlook the fact that conversion preceded his baptism. In other words, this man had to believe first. There, there's more to salvation than, than just the works. Salvation is by grace through faith, not of works. And this African man... As his eyes became open to the truth, he opened his heart to Jesus. And he trusted him as his personal Savior. And you know what happened then? He received the amazing gift of salvation. Please understand what salvation is. Salvation is not just church attendance. Salvation is not just doing better. Salvation is not just cleaning up your mouth and cleaning up your life. All of that should happen. But salvation is opening your heart to Jesus, letting him come in and live in you. And that Ethiopian did indeed open his heart to Jesus. And as he received the gift of salvation, and this, man, this is so exciting to me. A fire was lit in his heart that would not only change his life, but it would be the fire that would eventually shine into the deepest and the darkest parts of the continent of Africa. In fact, history, and this is awesome, This is awesome. History and tradition agree that the conversion of the Ethiopian opened the door for the gospel to be brought to the entire continent of Africa. And so this move that seemed illogical for Philip now makes sense. God wanted to take 
the gospel to Africa. So that is why he called Philip away from a successful ministry in Samaria to hundreds or maybe even a few thousand in order that millions in Africa could have the gospel. And today, this is the rest of the story. Today they say there are over 600 million Christians in Africa. And more than likely, it all began with Philip obeying the Spirit, leaving his so-called church of a few hundred, maybe a few thousand, and going so that millions could know Jesus. So the Ethiopian came to Christ. But did you notice what followed? Baptism. The Bible says repent and then be baptized. And and miraculously, they're in the desert. And this had to be another miracle. They came across a water hole. And that Ethiopian said, is there any reason that I shouldn't be baptized? And, and Philip says, as long as you believe and confess in your heart, why not? And, and the Ethiopian gave the order for the servants to stop the chariot. And they got out of the chariot. And Philip baptized this new believer in water, giving testimony that he now belonged to Jesus Christ. Now, As we wrap this up, there may be some of you that are like this Ethiopian. You know, this Ethiopian had a deep hunger for God. He had gone 2,300 miles from Ethiopia to Jerusalem in a buggy just to try to fill that longing in his heart. He had even committed to reading Scripture. But there was something missing in his life. Do you want to know what was missing? Jesus. He was missing Jesus. And I wonder today, I wonder how many of us are missing Jesus. You know, we may be doing a lot of things right. We may be following the Ten Commandments. We may be good church attenders, good tithe payers. We may pray and read our Bible. We may be good citizens and champion the fact that we're flag-waving, pledge-saying conservatives that stand up against the nonsense in our country and Many of us may have even been baptized at a creek or even at a church, whatever. But can I say that when it comes to eternity, if you don't have Jesus in your life, none of that really matters. I'm not saying that those things aren't important, but in view of eternity, what we must ask ourselves today is, do we know Jesus? Do we know Jesus? Does Jesus control our life? Have we become a new creature in Christ where old things are passed away? You know, the old habits, the the old addictions, the old language, the old lifestyle where they're passed away. Do we know Jesus? If there's anything that I could just ask the Holy Spirit of God to impress upon us today is, do we know Jesus? Do we know Jesus? And accepting Christ, knowing Jesus is as easy as ABC. And I don't want to oversimplify it, but I think sometimes we make it too complicated. But A, admit that you need Jesus. And I'll, I'll just say that here in, in this part of the country that's so religious, that's one of the hardest part, admitting that we need Jesus. Because, you know, we like to, we, we like to proclaim that we're good. Me and Jesus, we are good. But 
we really can't be found until we admit we're lost. So we need to admit, A, that we need Jesus. B, believe that Jesus is God's son and that he died for you. Then C, confess and receive forgiveness of your sins and turn from your sins. Don't stay in them. You know, we're new creatures. We're not to stay as we are, as we were. We're to... We're to become new creatures in Christ. And then baptism should follow. So church, uh, this is a Bible. And this gives us truth, eternal truth, life-giving truth. Don't swallow what a church may say. Don't even swallow what I'm saying today. Go to the book. This is a Bible. And if what I say doesn't line up with the Bible, let me tell you who to believe, what to believe. Believe the Bible. Don't believe me. This is a Bible. And it gives us truth on salvation and baptism. So this morning... As we prepare to baptize some people, maybe there's some of you that the missing link in your life is you don't know Jesus. May I present Jesus to you? If you don't know Jesus, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters if you don't know Jesus. So there may be some of you today that you... um, You want Jesus. Admit, believe, confess. And you can all do that today. Would you bow your heads before we pray? Is there anybody that would just say, Joe, I want Jesus. I want to know in the power of the resurrection. Thank you for your hand. Anybody just lift your hand and say, pray for me. Thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand and your hand and yours. Pray for me. God's really spoken to my heart today. Everybody look up here a second. If you need Jesus while I pray, would you, would you just ask Jesus to come into your heart? I know you're good people. You don't have to tell me that. You're good people. Otherwise, you wouldn't come to the church of God holiness. You're good people. But you need Jesus. So would you just, as I pray, say, Jesus, come into my life. Come into my heart. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Will you do that? Lord, we do thank you for, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that you've given us a way out, a way out of hell. Not that we deserved it, but we needed it. Oh God, I just pray that today, Lord, there were a lot of hands raised that want Jesus, need Jesus. And I pray that you would just come into their hearts right now, that they would receive Jesus, the cleansing. Oh Lord, don't let anybody be lost. Lord, for those that are watching the stream, for those that are listening on the radio, I pray that even your presence would just settle down upon them wherever they are, that they would seek Jesus, that they would receive Jesus. Thank you for your amazing gift, your presence. We love you. Lord, as we 
go into our time of baptism. And Lord, thank you for these candidates that have made some changes in their lives. And God, they've accepted you. I pray, Father, that this would be just a crowning moment, a time of celebration. Lord, just smile with approval upon this celebration. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.